I think it was the first couple of months that I, um, of working there that I realized I was making almost $30,000 less than the white woman who was in Michigan with the same job title and same job duties. From a DNI perspective, I've really been able to dive into that world more recently. And being with that organization for four and a half years has really helped kind of shape my view and has helped me really realize that, you know, African Americans in general, but specifically for female, African American females, they don't have a seat at the table. I will say, I'm from the South and just a little tidbit, my mother she was the first black female firefighter in my hometown so not only was she female she was black the first one and she experienced so much racism and so much sexism being on the fire department so i was always conscientious in the workplace to not do or say anything antagonistic always to protect myself from certain reactions. I wasn't sure if you were going to be on our side or the organization side. And when I say that that cut me deep, like I'm not even emotional when it comes to my job because it's just, I've been called every, like I've been called a nigger girl. Like I've been called everything. Um, but for some reason, that particular comment really crushed my soul because I felt like, damn, I have to pick and choose. Um, you know, like I, I felt like I had to pick and choose. So I do this investigation and um, in my conversation with the African-American nurse, she tells me to some form that you need to pick a side. As a black woman, you need to pick a side. I was really even hesitant about bringing this situation to HR's attention because I wasn't sure if you were gonna be on our side or the organization side. In light of the protesting, they continue to say, well, your people keep looting and you keep doing and your people, first off, stop with the generalizations and the victim blaming and all these other things and talking about things that you just have no clue like you don't know where that looting comes from or the reasons that that stems and all these like it's not necessarily black people that's doing that stuff so anyways it's a birthday picnic lunch or whatever and all the employees were coming in for lunch and there were two black guys that were also coming in and picking up their plate and the union president was like, don't forget y'all's watermelon. You know y'all like watermelon. And I was like, okay, you know, it's my first day being here. Maybe I'm, you know. So I had brought it to the current union president's attention. Like, I don't know who that guy is, but the comment that was made was just completely inappropriate. It was disrespectful and just discriminatory. And he was like, Oh, well, you should hear what they're saying about you out on that floor. So anyways, it's a birthday, picnic, lunch or whatever. And all the employees were coming in for lunch. And there were two black guys that were also coming in and picking up their plate. And the union president was like, don't forget y'all's watermelon. You know y'all like watermelon. And I was like, okay, you know, it's my first day being here. Maybe I'm, you know. 
So I had brought it to the current union president's attention. Like, I don't know who that guy is, but the comment that was made was just completely inappropriate. It was disrespectful and just discriminatory. And he was like, oh, well, you should hear what they're saying about you out on that floor. And I was like, excuse me? And, and like the conversation that we ended up having is he ended up giving me a lot of insight on the new president. He was like, um, no one on that floor is ever going to tell you, including me, what it said, um, because, you know, like the backlash that he will receive. He's just like, I'm not doing it. I'm not about that. And he was like, you need to watch yourself and just take care of you and make sure you're doc you document everything because it's a lot of stuff going down and they're never going to give you the respect that you need like ever after the george floyd travesty happened i remember literally a week later i had three racial discrimination cases that i had to handle two were with physicians and one was with a black nurse and a white pharmacist the white pharmacist made a comment in his office. The black nurse had overheard it while he was, you know, having his conversation over the phone. Nevertheless, I came down to do a formal investigation. Keep in mind, this is at a time where it's very raw, it's very sensitive, and honestly, for the most part, COVID as well. So as a black female, I'm feeling some type of way, you know, I get a report saying that this white pharmacist makes this discriminatory comment and I have to go ahead and investigate it. It, it takes a lot of balance. It takes a lot of prayer and it takes a lot of therapy to remember that when you're going into this conversation, you're speaking on behalf of the organization. You're not speaking on behalf of you and your own beliefs. But I think organizations that can assist with that is needed because in order to have any sort of change that we are looking to make, we have to be able to have these conversations. And HR is not in a place to really mediate those. No one from HR has asked us, how are you doing? Like, how are you doing with what is going on right now in your job? Like, this has to be a tough balance. So how are you doing? Are you okay? And then it made me realize, like, They'll never ask you that because they can't relate. They can't relate to the fact that our people are being slain like fucking cattle. And I still got to come into my job every day and talk to these arrogant white physicians. And so it was very clear to me that it, it didn't even matter if you were in the union or not. Like if you were black, then they weren't going to do squat for you. I am and always been very conscientious. I'm always warm, I'm always open. And up until that point, I mean, I've always received feedback like, oh, she's so great, she's so nice, all that stuff. So for this job up here in Cleveland, for, the, for them to say I'm not, it was hard and it was difficult and so frustrating. 
when I first got the email that came out about George Floyd at work, it almost was like, I mean, people were coming up to me and they're like, are you okay? And I was like, is this genuine? Like, I mean, I can't imagine how you guys are feeling and you will want to hope that is genuine. But then they will start asking questions like, what is this stuff really happening? Like, is police brutality really real? Like, bitch, yes, it's real. And don't look at me to validate for the rest of black culture. But yeah, it is real. And if you just turned on your TV and watched the news, you can see it. I mean, there are times where I go to court and court staff are like, no, you have to be an attorney to come back here. And I'm just like, great. I got on a suit. I got on a briefcase. I got this big file in my hand. You want me to pull out my Supreme Court card? Like, <laughs> defendants don't come in here looking like this, you know? That director also negotiated our uh, our salaries before letting me know. So my salary was uh, not on par. Yeah, my salary was not on par with other directors. And I was like, excuse me? And, and like the conversation that we ended up having is he ended up giving me a lot of insight on the new president. He was like, um, no one on that floor is ever going to tell you, including me, what it said, um, because, you know, like the backlash that he will receive. He's just like, I'm not doing it. I'm not about that. And he was like, you need to watch yourself and just take care of you and make sure you're doc you document everything because it's a lot of stuff going down and they're never going to give you the respect that you need like ever um one other thing that i will say is that i love the fact that you guys are doing this project because you're right this is an avenue that hr cannot and we should not to be quite honest with you we should not necessarily tackle because our job is to reinforce policies processes and procedures my job is not to make sure i educate the black experience or what that looks like days of keeping race religion and politics out of the work environment are over like it's just not possible uh it's in the work environment and hr has recognized that like we have to address it and it doesn't necessarily mean in the form of formalized discipline and all that um one other thing that i will say is that i love the fact that you guys are doing this project because you're right. This is an avenue that HR cannot and we should not, to be quite honest with you, we should not necessarily tackle because our job is to reinforce policies, processes, and procedures. My job is not to make sure I educate the Black experience or what that looks like, but I think organizations that can assist with that is needed because in order to have any sort of change that we are looking to make, we have to be able to have these conversations. And HR is not in a place to really mediate those. Days of keeping race, religion, and politics out of the work environment are over. Like, it's just not possible. Uh, it's in the work environment and HR has recognized that like we have to address it and it doesn't necessarily mean in the form of formalized discipline and all that. To me, that was probably my first real experience dealing with racism in the professional arena, right? Here, here you have, you know, 
young black girl, you know, fresh from grad school in the HR scene telling middle-aged white men what they can and cannot do. And that didn't go over well for them. Um, And so it is my feeling that they did everything that they could to make that experience a nightmare for me. He hated me. I ended up finding out on my last day when I was leaving that he would refer to me when amongst his union brethren, he'd refer to me as nigger girl. She was a clear target because she was more of like a stereotypical black woman, their idea of such. Um, you know, as a probation officer, probably 70% of the department, you know, was black. And then our clientele, probably 80 or 90% of the people were black. So it wasn't that much of an issue in that part of my career. But now as an attorney, um, you know, it's, it's, it's not unheard of that I'm, you know, the only black person, um, in the room. And so it definitely becomes a lot more prevalent. You know, like that's something that I had to do being a black woman. You know, I had to cover my bases. I had to make sure that I was always doing what I needed to do not to give them something because I knew they were always looking. They're always looking. But I see so many black people that are underemployed. Like, you have an MBA. Why the heck <laughs> are you on Medicaid and you can't find a job? And your resume looks well. So I'm just helping with, and I'm like, God put me here for a reason. I'm helping with like job, job interviews and coaching and things like that. So hopefully I can make a difference. But I see so many underemployed, so many people with master's degrees, and they're all black. <laughs> I just, like, how? You know, and I see that consistently. So that goes back even further than me. That goes back to my grandmother, right? So my Mm -hmm. grandmother, (laughs) if you call her right now at work, you're not going to know who she is if you had never called her at work, you know? Mm -hmm. She had, she's very, like, she sounds like a white woman, period. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And my mom same way, right? So I was raised uh, knowing when to turn it on and when to turn it off. Um, I told oh, you talk white, or but you know that kind of thing. Yeah, um, and I hated that. I really hated that. 